too much of the conversation today is dominated by sociology. It's dominated by a particular like neo-Marxist worldview and like all these things that as Catholics were like, I see that things need to get better, but I don't know if I want to go down that road or that road. But when you frame it within the context of discipleship, that's where like, it's not just like, hey, we're going to have community action. That can be a part of it, but it's rooted in surrender to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, by, as always, by my illustrious and handsome co-host, Dave Van Vickle. I got nothing. Oh, got you got nothing, nothing. Wow. I got, no, I, got, I got no middle nicknames for you today. That's all right. I'm happy. It's 65 degrees here in Pittsburgh. It's sunny. It's not raining for the first time, oh, and I, I feel like I'm down south with you guys, so... Uh, oh, really? Because it's 95 right here. It is 95 <laughs> I would, I would take that in a second, Comer. Stop whining about that. That's not something you can complain about. Yeah, it is. All right. <laughs> yes, it is. Joining us today, we have a very special interview, special guest, uh, uh, someone who has been working with Ascension Press on his own podcast, so he is, in fact, the competition, Father Josh Johnson. How you doing, Father? What's up, Gomer, man? I'm doing great. How are y'all? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, we we just saw the statistics. He's not. We're really not competing with you at all. In fact, you're just crushing us. So yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Well, I think I, I think Father Mike is crushing all of us right now. So <laughs> yeah, right. as he yeah. is one to do. Man, what is with these priests? Am I right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, for real, right? <laughs> so you are uh, the author of the wildly successful and popular um, Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. We bought uh, bundles of those here at my church. Um, oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. One of my big things is every time the phrase Pocket Guide comes out from Ascension Press, I just order like 50 and I just have them and we give them away and all that stuff. But um, part of our approach to the Sacrament of Reconciliation is to have family penance services for the kids so that their parents mm. can come back. And one of the things for a lot of parents, they're sitting there, you know, they're waiting, they're waiting. It's like, here's an adult resource. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. Oh, praise God. That's actually a great idea. I love that. Yeah. Where where are you, Father Josh? You're in Louisiana. But yeah, where so is I'm, I'm in Bat Diocese of Baton Rouge. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. Louisiana. So um, yeah, right now I'm the vocation director. Well, I'll be the vocation director for a while. Um, and I've been doing campus ministry for the past year at LSU. And then this upcoming week, we're going to announce my new assignment. I'll be pastor again, um, at a parish and school in my diocese, which I'm super excited about. I'll be collaborating with Vagabond. Um, maybe I, that's early announcement, whatever. Yeah. So Vagabond's going to be part of that too. So there it is. It's out. Uh, but yeah, so it's super exciting. Um, things happening in our land and our, and our boundaries down here. Yeah. What, what do you see as the big difference between campus ministry and parish ministry? Like what, obviously the age group, but like what, what, <laughs> yeah. what is different for you um, that makes you so excited to go to the parish? Yeah, well, I, so I mean, I love campus ministry for the reasons of it's, I'm walking with, with young adults who are, some of them encountering Jesus Christ for the first time and they're zealous and they're on fire. And, and that, that's life-giving to be around young people who are just falling in love with Jesus Christ and beginning to discern their vocations. Uh, so I absolutely love a lot. And in particular at LSU, we have a team of disciples. So Father Andrew Merrick is the main, uh, the pastor of the of the whole campus. And he 
he brought on an, an entire team of radical disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we pray together throughout the week. Uh, we do holy hours together. We and, and so just the fruit of our prayer and, and our communal discipleship has has transformed the campus of LSU. It's just been really, really beautiful. There's so many small group Bible studies, so many disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's just beautiful. It's, it's awesome. But the difference is at a college, we're up all night long, man. Like, and I'm a morning person. I, like, I, I prefer to wake up at 4 a.m., go to bed by 9 and at LSU, like I, was, I had the night mass last night. So I uh, had 8 p.m. mass. And then I had uh, ministry with students up until like 1130 last night. So I'm not going to miss that at all. You know, <laughs> I, I, I look forward to the parish. And in a parish, we have a, a consistent rule of life. Um, it is more geared towards the geographical boundaries of our land. And so what I love about parish ministry is I love just going into the neighborhoods throughout the geographical boundaries and encountering the people there, uh, many of whom are not Catholic, but they are still our parishioners. You know, canonically, canon law says that the pastor is responsible for every single soul in the boundaries of his parish, whether they're Catholic or Protestant, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, Jew. And uh, I just, I that sets my heart on fire is, is to, to meet people there and to invite them to Bible studies and then to watch through small group Bible studies. Uh, people come to the sacraments for the first time. Uh, I did it in my last parish with my team there, and it was just awesome to see what the Holy Spirit could do. And so I'm really excited to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do in this new place uh, where we're going to, yeah, I just, I, I've been praying for the land. I've actually been walking around the land at night, uh, praying my rosary, just preparing it uh, because I, I just cannot wait to get there. I, and, and it's, it's going to be awesome. It's, 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 I have some nuns coming with me too. And um, so I'm super excited about that. And yeah, it's just, I, I love walking with people in general. Uh, I mean, every assignment the bishop has given me has been awesome, uh, but there's a particular love I have for for like land. Like whenever I get to walk the the boundaries and encounter Christ there, and and see people encounter Christ in the context of their families and come to the, yeah, just come to confession and, and to watch like dads become men through their encounters with the Lord and and yeah, it's just it's awesome. I love I just love being a priest. So that is awesome. <laughs> Sounds like it. You know, it's it's funny because so much of our ideals of priests are like, you know, the intellectual, right? Um, the the conversationalist or preacher or whatever. But uh, kind of the the spirit that you were just kind of sharing with us sounds like uh, the side of the priesthood that you don't always see all the time, which is like the warrior. Like you sound like you are ready and already in combat with the devil for the souls of the people in your parish boundaries. That is awesome. Totally. Yeah, he hate, the devil hates me. Uh, <laughs> he hates all of us, right? Um, yeah, but there, there is a spiritual. I, I was talking to our exorcist the other day, and I was like, "All right, man." I said, "Like the, the second, like the uh, appointment happens, like we got to go together." I mean, I know I could do it myself uh, uh, the, as far as land goes, but I think it's extra cool when you have the exorcist go with you um, <laughs> to do the, the the Leo prayer around the land and all that, and bless all the buildings. Because, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's what I think we oftentimes forget in our in our ministry. Uh, is that we're we're not battling against people. Uh, where it's, it's powers of principalities, and and in particular, like with my ministry of like racial reconciliation, uh, it, it's it's this is not a worldly battle that I, that I'm engaging. I remember whenever me and Father Mike did our first um, dialogue with each other uh, shortly after George Floyd was was killed, and. Uh, just a lot of good fruit came from that that conversation. A lot of people uh, told me for the first time in life that they were open and hearing something new, that they they became aware of things they didn't know, that they were inspired to to do something different. But Satan got pissed at me. I mean, he was so mad. And and I remember like one night, um, I was I was in bed and he jumped on me, like you know, it's like the, the thing where he like strangles you or whatever. But then like he he went so far as like take my sheets and like throw my sheets off the bed. 
And I was like, oh man, like this is like getting real. And so like, I knew that that was like the fact that he had to go at me like that, that what I was doing was definitely of the Holy Spirit. Like the Lord was definitely calling me to invest in, in this work for, for unity in the body of Christ and racial reconciliation. Um, and, and because Satan was, if he was going to that level to get at me, like I knew it was of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just been, it's been a journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on the show to talk about your new book coming out with the Center Press, On Earth As It Is In Heaven, Restoring God's Vision for Race and Discipleship, especially today because of yesterday's readings, uh, you know, from the book of Revelation talking oh, yeah. about- Re Revelation 7, yeah, 9, yeah. Every tribe, every nation, uh, every tongue. Um, it, it's so beautiful when you see that, um, when you see the truly Catholic vision, the global vision, the world vision of, I mean, this, this is the whole point of, the, this is what I impress upon in my conversion class for Protestants. Like Christ broke open and fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant by being a by being the descendant who blesses all the families of the earth, not just Israel, not just one ethnic bloodline. You know, not just the God chose these people so that they would give us give the world the Christ child, right? Give the world the Son of God, but in so doing, He became the blessing for the whole world. And there's been um, you know, today there's a lot of uh, obviously conversation around race and some of it helpful, some of it not helpful. Um, you got a lot of things that make people deeply uncomfortable. And so they'd rather not have these conversations. So how did you, um, how how would you, number one, let, let's start with your lived example of ministry of race reconciliation, racial reconciliation. What does that look like? And then maybe we can um, talk about it as applies to evangelization. Yeah, so it, it it looks different depending on the circumstances that I, I'm working in. Um, I think one of the the main things that I, I always invite everyone to do is to start with the gospel. I right? to start with the the heart of Jesus. Like, what does Jesus Christ want? Like, as the when I first encountered Jesus Christ in 2004 at Steubenville South Conference, like that's when I came back to the Catholic Church, uh, believed in the Eucharist, and and uh, just I really fell in love with the Lord, and He really fulfilled my desires, and. I began, began to go to adoration every day after that encounter with Christ in 2004, and he just made me happy. And so uh, I began to ask the Holy Spirit, like, how can I make Jesus happy? I, I, I want to fulfill his heart. What can I do for God? God does so much for me. Uh, he quenches my thirst. He satiates this, this, this infinite ache I have in my heart. What can I do for Jesus? Because um, I think so, so many times we, we make our relationship with God about just us. Like, what am I going to get out of it? And, um, and I, I wanted to, like, I want to love him well. And so I began to devour the scriptures. And, and that's whenever I saw like what Jesus Christ desires. Gomer, like in John 17, he tells us his desire. Like, I desire that they may be one. And so Jesus Christ reveals to us that he wants unity. And if he wants unity, then, then what does the devil want? The devil clearly wants disunity. The devil clearly wants division in the body of Christ. And I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves and take an honest look at the Catholic Church in the United States of America, the devil's done a pretty good job of cultivating disunity in our land, of, of cultivating uh, a spirit of, of division in our land. And, and, it's, and it's been this way for, for, it's not anything new, it's been this way for hundreds of years, from slavery to, to Jim Crow to, um, to, to, to even the, the current situation we're in right now. And so I always begin with, what does Christ want? He wants unity. And so uh, how, do we, how do we cultivate unity? Well, for me, my approach has always been through discipleship. Like there, there are a number of different lanes that people can address this, this topic through. And I think that they all have their place, but I believe that like my primary lane is, 
is through the proclamation of the gospel, um, is through helping people to to fall in love with Jesus so that they too can listen to Jesus, who in the word of God tells us what to do. Right before he ascended into heaven, he said, go out and make disciples of all nations. And the word nations is translated into the Greek word ethnos, which means ethnicities. So the very last thing he said to us before he went to heaven was go out and make disciples of all, all nations. He didn't say go out and make disciples of some, some ethnicities. He said all. And so the, the enemy, what he begins to do is like, he's, he's the father of lies in, in, the, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. He, he went to Eve and he said, did God really say you can't eat of the fruit of the tree? Did God really say that? And I, I believe that's what he says to us, especially those of us in ministry. Did God really say that you're supposed to go out to all people? Like literally like every ethnicity? Like, no, like you, you're just, a, you're so busy in your parish. You're so busy in your ministry. You can only focus on the people who are sitting in the pews. You don't have the bandwidth to go out to the neighborhood Feel with those people who speak a different language. Like you don't have time to learn Spanish because you only speak English. And even though they speak Spanish, even though the apostles clearly learned other languages in Acts chapter two, when they went out to make disciples of all ethnicities, you don't have time for that. And God wouldn't expect you to do that. God doesn't want you to be uncomfortable. He doesn't want you to go and encounter that person from a, a different socioeconomic background. God doesn't want you to encounter that person who's a different religious religion than you. God doesn't want you to encounter that person who's of a different ethnicity than you or of a different race. Like that's a lie from the from, from Satan. God's word is very clear. He says, go out and make disciples of all nations, like all ethnicities, all people. That's what the apostles did. And as you said, in the book of Revelation, John, the beloved disciple, when he had this vision of heaven, the, the heaven that he saw was, was like Acts chapter two. It was people from Africa, Asia, Europe, every race, nation, tribe, and tongue, right? And so we must, we must be about the business of God. And so we must be inspired by the word of God to work to make our our communities look like heaven. I think if we begin with the gospel and begin with like prayer, then from praying with people of different backgrounds, the Holy Spirit will inspire us all to do different, different things. The very first mandate that Jesus Christ gave in the gospel wasn't to teach, preach. It wasn't to, um, to have community service and projects. Like I do those. I do the projects. I participate in protests. I'm in multi-ethnic Bible studies. Uh, all this stuff, I do it all. But where we begin is by inviting everybody to prayer. Because the very first thing that Jesus Christ did with the apostles after their ordination at the Last Supper was he invited them to sit, watch, and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and, the, and the fruit of them actually being obedient to that later on, right after he ascended to heaven before Pentecost, was they were able to, to go out, imitate Jesus, and encounter people of all backgrounds. And so the very first thing I always invite people to do is let's encounter Christ together. Like, so we have, that, that's the goal. Jesus is the goal. And let's, let's learn how to, how to pray together before the blessed sacrament, inviting everybody to like, like, I don't care if you're not even Catholic, like if you're Protestant, come with me before the blessed sacrament and let's pray there. And because I believe that God is God and I believe that the Eucharist is Jesus who is God, I believe that Jesus Christ, he would do more for them in that time of adoration than I could do in a thousand talks. Um, and, 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 so, and, and I've seen it happen where I've invited people of different ethnicities, of different races, of different genders, of different ages, of different backgrounds to come together and we begin to pray. And then from prayer, we typically do small group Bible studies and we begin to share hearts on that level. And once we're establishing trust between these different people and this small group of like eight to 10 people, then we are able to go deeper with each other and share our hearts about what someone else might not know that I'm experiencing, that you're experiencing because of your, your race or because of your ethnicity or because of your socioeconomic background. And there's an established trust now. And so now we can pray together and discern, all right, 
how can we collaborate? Like, how can we, how can we share our talents and our gifts, our resources and our supernatural charisms to work together to address whatever is preventing um, all of us from having a seat at the table, yeah. um, whatever is cultivating, perpetuating division. And so uh, it looks different in each situation I'm in, each, each particular group I'm working with, not only in my diocese, but across the nation. But that's the typical models. We begin with Jesus we root ourselves in prayer. We cultivate some kind of small group study from that. And then from there, we go out uh, to fulfill the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations, because disciples transform societies. Disciples build civilizations of love and disciples transform unjust practices and policies in our in our nation. Um, so, yeah. Well, so, so a well thought out answer. A well thought out <laughs> answer. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I think, I think that, you know, it, and it like, we can apply this to every aspect of the church and even like applying it to microcosm communities like marriages. Like, you know, I mean, you're having trouble in your marriage, uh, you know, find each other in the heart of Christ. You know, you're having trouble with a best friend, find each other in the heart of Christ. Like it, it this doesn't just apply to race. It applies to every part of the, the Christian mystery, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I always remind our high school students. I feel like I have to do this because of the climate that we're in and everything and the denigration that Christianity gets today in in the minds of a lot of people is that it's just a European thing, right? It's just a European thing. So I remind them of obviously the stats. The only place the church is growing is not North America and Europe, right? uh, yeah. basically. And so when, when you start to realize the global... <laughs> Africa is booming, man. Yeah, Africa, Asia, <laughs> uh, India... Like it, it's just incredible. The global South is is on fire, and we're importing. <clears throat> and in my diocese, we are importing priests from Africa and India, and and a lot of Korean. And the apostles went to Africa and India. Like yeah. in the, the early church apostles, Thomas died in India. Matthew died in Africa. So far yeah. way before the church ever came to a United States of America, it was thriving in Africa yeah. um, and in Asia uh, and, and in Europe and in Rome. Peter died in Rome. So like the apostles went all over, but they went there way before. Like so, it's not a white man's religion, as some people like to say. I'm like, Nah, bro. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're like in, in Acts of the Apostles, you have the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. You have Ma Simon of Cyrene. You have Matthew uh, dying in Africa. So, and you have so many saints in the early church. You have three black African popes. I mean, so so the church is way bigger than yeah. uh, what many of us have experienced in, in our nation. Yeah, I tell people uh, the the high school students. I was like, listen, Christianity was a global religion before the death of the last apostle. Right. The only reason why we think of it as a European religion is because we are Roman Catholic and we were cut off from Eastern Christianity with the rise of Islam. Islam cut us off basically from Turkey yeah. all the way up through North Africa into Spain. And so it was like that. It became Roman Catholicism became a very Western European thing. And so obviously the age of exploration and colonization, all that stuff. But we keep thinking, and I was like, no, look at the apostolic church. Look at where it started, and it went up, down, left, and right. Like, it did not just curve right into, into Europe. In fact, the first European convert was made by Paul, and it's a woman named Lydia. And he was thinking about going east or going west, and he had a vision to go to this woman, Lydia. And it's fascinating because that changed the course of history. You know, you don't even know where Christianity would be if it was entirely east. But then you find, that, like you said, Thomas in, in India, these pockets of Thomas Christians that uh, Marco Polo's trade routes reestablish relationships with. Like, it's 
And I and I have priests here at my parish that we bring in from India who that's what they call themselves. Yeah. You know, it is it is an incredible, an incredible community of of believers when you step back from your own experience. And I think that's the hard thing. I mean, that's like almost impossible for all of us to do, right? Is we keep holding up our own experiences as the lens by which Christianity is mm-hmm. measured. Yeah, but it also that like what you're saying, it I like my heart breaks because like I remember when I was in parish ministry, I haven't been for a few years, but we got like a set some census data and I found out that in our tiny little parish area there were like six black Catholics <laughs> and they did not come to our church and I was like, "Where are you know, like I was like freaking out, like where are they? Where are they?" you know, like and it, it's it, it's sad because what you're saying is true, but it's not reflected here. I mean, we we we're like missing our brothers and sisters. I think in most parishes, you know. Yeah, yeah, and there's also there's there's histories that I think oftentimes just aren't being told. I mean, like so, um, y'all have been in ministry for a long time. Y'all know how, how how broken the body of Christ is. Even like some like those religious orders that are thriving right now. Some of them have some really sketchy like sketchy stories. And <laughs> and one of the things that some of them do, which really uh, I, it just if it really pierces my heart is they try to change their history. Like there's been some religious orders that I, I go on their website and they say, oh, we have this many founders. And it's these like four people. I'm like, no, you had five founders. <laughs> and one of your founders was uh, an abuser. Oh, and gosh. you literally just tra- changed history as if that never happened. And so a lot of what we have done in, in the church in America is, is we've just totally neglected telling everybody the story of our parish. It's like, what's the real story of my parish and why does it look the way it looks now? There's a, a, a church, I did not write about this in a book, um, I wrote about a sister in my book and it was a very positive story, but there's so much more to the story that I just didn't have time to put in there. But um, there there was a, a parish in, in, in Louisiana where there was a, a very low income, predominantly black community and then a, a wealthy white community. And there was two churches, a predominantly black church, probably a white church. And the, the archbishop of that time, he decided he was going to merge the parishes together, but he didn't like give anybody any time for like, like, let's meet each other. He just said, all right, uh, in two weeks, we're going to shut down this parish and y'all are going to go here or whatever. And, and so the, which parish got shut down? The primary black parish. So they, they went to the primary white parish. And when they went there, they were told to sit in the back of the church. They were spit on. They, the, 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 the white Catholics wouldn't shake their hand for the sign of peace. They, they told me you can't participate in any ministry. And so an entire neighborhood pretty much left the faith. There's like maybe two families that stayed and, and are still there. And, and then there's this beautiful, holy, holy woman. So she was a, a sister of Mother Angelica of EWTN. Uh, she was a cloistered nun for a number of years. And through her time with Jesus Christ and Blessed Sacrament, she perceived the Lord, invited her to be a hermit. Mother Angelica gave her permission to try it out. She went back home and uh, once or twice a week, she would go out and she would like walk throughout the neighborhood, sit on the porch with people, um, just listen to their stories, pray with them, share her story, share her food. They share their food. So she became like family with these people. But one of the things that she heard was this, this story of this is why we don't go to, to that church anymore. Like, so like the, the reason why we don't go there is because this was our experience or this is my parents' experience or my grandparents' experience. And but through her her, her presence in this particular neighborhood, what it happened eventually is a number of kids uh, began to like be mentored by her and she would uh, wrap the literally hours with them and take them to adoration. And um, anyways, the kids ended up coming to the church. And when the kids came to the church, their parents and grandparents made them also came back in the church. One of her kids became a nun. She's a Holy Family sister right now. Uh, and so it's a lot of, a lot of like transformation has happened, but it only happened because she became aware of the reality of why is this parish 
why does it look this way when clearly the geographical boundaries are very diverse? The boundaries have a lot of different people of different races and ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds, but the parish looks one way. There's always a story. And, and unless we know that story, we won't know how to evangelize in those communities that have been affected by those real, real histories. Yeah, my uh, my parents grew up in inner city Philadelphia um, and they went to the Irish parish and down the street was the Italian parish. And even though they were all Catholic, mm -hmm. uh, they beat each other up on street corners. Uh, they all hated each other, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's crazy. And real discipleship. Right yeah. There. Yeah. No kidding. Right. Um, I'm sure the priests were heroic in speaking out against it. Um, but you find this like these. Um, it is easy to be homogenous. Right. It is easy to just, oh, you know, well, now I go to the suburban parish. I do this. I do that. Uh, how do you as a priest integrate? Like, how do you as a priest? Like, so, for instance, in um, in St. Louis, right, in the in the in the diocese of St. Louis, there is a lot of people moving further out into the suburbs. The Catholic school system has flourished because the St. Louis public schools, many of them are terrible. And so you'll have a church in the middle of an all-black neighborhood, but that's because people have moved out to the burbs, but the families still go to that school and the and they still go to that yeah. parish. And I remember talking with a priest and I said, like, do you do you do anything for the black families around here? Like the, every every house now, except for maybe three, are are owned by by black families. And they were like, No, we don't. We tried one priest though, he he tried. Like he he met a community activist every time he had an, a job for within the parish, she got first dibs to spread it out among the community, kind of build more rapport, and it just it, it you know there was that element of we don't feel like we belong there, so we're not going to go there. Um, we, we do have a lot of priests who listen. So what what would you suggest? Um, yeah, that's 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 an excellent question. I mean, so and it's different everywhere, but the what I think. What's the same, what's universal is number one, for that priest to recognize that his bride, if he has a parish that the, the neighborhood around it is a primary black parish, um, that's his bride. That's your bride. You got to get to know your bride. You got to get to know her by spending time with her. So like you do a holy hour in the morning with Blessed Sacrament and then every day do a holy hour with your neighborhood. Like go out and go door to door and meet your people. Even if you're an introvert, get over yourself. Like I'm... <laughs> I'm, I'm an introvert. People think I'm like extra. I'm not at all. I'm an introvert. Um, I, I love to be by myself, but I, I do this because of the gospel, right? So, so go out and meet your, your community. Ask them if you could bless their homes. Everyone loves a house blessing, whether you're Catholic or Protestant or whatever. I've never met a Protestant who has not wanted a house blessing. And they, they, they love that stuff. They believe in it and, and throwing their home to the sacred scriptures, to the Bible. You just get to know them and then invite them to small group Bible studies. Um, and then from those Bible studies, as people begin to come into the church, if they do, like place them in leadership roles on pastoral council, on finance council, on your discipleship teams of evangelization. That way you're hearing their voice and you're getting their perspective because too often our, our parishes, if you look at the leadership, the staff and the and the, the parish council are the amazing parish team of disciples, whoever they have, it's it's all one group of people who who look the same, think the same, act the same, and vote the same. And because of that, they, they don't see things from the perspective of how might these ministries we're doing uh, negatively affect this particular group of people. So you want people at your table who are very different from you and from each other. I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick story um, where, where this worked out really well at. Um, and then also I'll add this too. So put them in leadership roles and then look in, look in your church. If your church is in a like predominantly black neighborhood now, if it's changed, then look at the artwork. 
uh, in, in my parish when I was at Holy Rosary, we added artwork of white saints and black saints and Latino saints and indigenous saints, saints of uh, young saints, old saints, beautiful, beautiful, classy artwork. That way, when, when people came in their church, they could see themselves represented. And it wasn't just a white Jesus, a white Mary, a white Joseph, a white St. Michael standing on top of a black Satan. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wanted everyone who came in my church to see themselves represented. And people literally from without my boundaries, p- black people began to come to the church. They're like, I go to that church because I, I, I see my, my kids can see themselves represented um, all throughout the campus. Now, but here's a story of where this happens. Well, when it comes to like spending time with people like who are different. So there was a school, um, it was up north somewhere. I forgot where it was. Maybe it was Phoenix. I don't know. But um, there was a, a group of moms uh, and uh, the school that their kids went to, it was like half white, half Latino. And, and so they decided to start a prayer group. Bible study, small group thing. And about 25 white moms would go every Thursday morning at 11 o'clock a.m., but none of the Latina mothers would go. And so they sent out flyers and they did emails and ne- never, they just didn't come. And they're like, why don't they want to come to our Bible study prayer group? Like, do they not like want to like pray for their kids who go to the school? So they actually hired a social psychologist to, to help them to figure mm-hmm. out what, because they, they were intentional. They yeah. really wanted yeah. a multi-ethnic Bible study. So they were, they were serious. And the social psychologist asked them, well, like, when do y'all meet? And they're like, Thursday mornings at 11 a.m. And, and they're like, she said, well, why don't you think that they want to come? And they're like, we don't know. And she said, how about this? How about you start going to their parish for worship? So go, go to their parish for worship on Sundays. They might go to a predominantly Spanish you know, um, church or whatever. Go there for months with your family. And after you, you go on their turf, like go on their turf, spend time with them where they're at, then, then you can ask them this question. So they did that. They, they went to those, those churches for, for months. And then finally, after they were seen in that parish for a long time, they asked them, hey, you know, we have this Bible study prayer group. Why don't y'all want to come? And they, they told them, these moms were like, we would love to come. It's just we can't go on Thursday mornings at 11 a.m. because we work. Uh, and so that doesn't work for us. And they're like, oh, so you would come if we had a different time? They're like, yeah. And they, they said, well, what time could you come? And they they talked together and they said, what would work best for all of us is 11 o'clock PM. And they're like, okay, all right. Like we, we want this so bad. We will host it at our homes at 11 o'clock PM. And the mom's like, no, see, we can't come to your home at 11 o'clock PM because we don't have public, uh, we don't have a car. We, we, we do the bus. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to work. And then they said, okay, well, could y'all host it in your neighborhood? Yeah, we could do that. So then they hosted this Bible study in, in their, their neighborhood. So these uh, I think it was like 20 of the white moms went and maybe it was like 15 Latina mothers started this group and they began to meet on Thursday nights at 11 o'clock PM, Bible study prayer group. And then what happened is the neighbors in that, in that community began to see all these cars, these nice cars in their, in their neighborhood on Thursdays at 11 o'clock at night. And they're like, what's going on in your house? They're like, oh, we have this Bible study prayer group for our kids. And they're like, well, well, can we come? We don't have kids at that school, but we would love to like join a Bible study prayer group. Well, then they join. Well, then other mothers in the neighborhood who uh, were Latina, who did not speak English, they wanted to join, but but they don't speak English well. And so the white mom's like, well, we'll hire a translator. Like, like we're, we're, it's good. Like, just tell them to come. Eventually, the white mom was like, why don't we just learn Spanish? Like, we have time. We have, we have the resources. We can study Spanish one day a week. So this Bible study went on for years, like for two, three years. But what happened is because they became family with these women, like they didn't just like when Jesus Christ did ministry, he didn't just do ministry one day a week and then say deuces the rest of the week. He went to like parties with his disciples. He went on road trips. He went fishing with them. <laughs> he, he did a bunch of, he went on like hiking with them. He invested life with them. They began to invest life with each other. They established trust with each other. And then they were able to work with each other um, to, to address with their spouses, their families, 
some of the uh, systemic things that were uh, oppressing some of these Latina mothers and their families. And so they they really became like like blood at that point. And it all happened because like they began to accommodate their their neighbor. And so it's important for us, like when we look at our our, our mass times, when we look at our, our Bible studies that we're doing, when we think about our homilies that we're preaching, like how was my bride, my local bride here hearing this? How could she hear it better? Maybe I need to change confession to accommodate them. Maybe I need to change when we do RCAA to accommodate. Maybe I need to change the name of some of these things to better accommodate this bride because the goal is to form saints and to be a bridge for all people to come to the Eucharist because the Eucharist is the source and some of our faith. And so we want all people to be exposed to the blessed sacrament, but we can only do this is, is if, if we get to know the people there yeah. and how we can do this well. And so I, I do believe God's going to hold us accountable on judgment day. And God's going to say, especially to us priests, why we're going to say, God, like, why am I still in purgatory? You know, like, like, man, like I, th- I thought I would have made it into the beatific vision by now. And he's like, well, you know, uh, you, you definitely didn't invite me to that Bible study or you didn't invite me to that parish mission or that, that retreat. You didn't invite me, um, to RCA or to your adoration chapel. But when God, when did I see you and not invite you to a Bible study? I had 5,000 people in my parish. I had 40 baptisms this year at the Easter vigil. What are you talking about? God, when did I not invite you to Bible study or RCA or adoration? And it's to say, when you saw that person who was of a different ethnicity than you, and you chose to assume, well, they must be some other faith, and, and, and so I'm going to ignore them. And, and, and as if that's an excuse, like we have the fullness of the of, of the gift as Catholics, we have the, the sacraments, and so we should never say like, well, well I don't I don't want to not invite them to my church because they already have a, uh, a, an ecclesial community to go to. No, like we want to invite everybody. Now again, invite. I'm not saying force. I'm not saying proselytize. I'm just saying invite at least everyone to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ in the sacrament life of the church. And, and many of us are not doing that. And I do believe that we will be held accountable. And so that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because like, I want to form saints. I want to help my brother priests and my, my sisters in Christ who are in, in ministry in the church. I want to help all of us to, to be the best saints that we could be and to accompany saints. And, and right now, we're, ju- we're just, I mean, I travel the nation, not as much now because of the demands of my, my diocese. But when I was traveling, speaking about this stuff, like it was the same thing across the across the board. Even in some of the best like uh, lay apostolates and like in missionary organizations, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, I know we're not doing it. Here's our stats. I see we're not doing it, but uh, we just don't have time. I'm like, okay, like uh, if you if you're if you're cool with settling for 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 mediocrity, I, I, that, that's you. But like <laughs> Jesus Christ is very clear with what He wants, and 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 so we have the capacity. To console his heart and to, and to do it. Yeah. So. It's sad because as Americans, we're so lucky that, you know, we don't have to go to the ends of the earth to evangelize all peoples. They're all here. Like everyone is coming here. The Lord brought them to yeah, us. Yeah. It's, and it, maybe because we're not doing such a fine job going out to them. Um, what do you do in the Bible study? Like you talk about constantly having these Bible studies. So what does a, a typical Bible study yeah. look like? Where are you walking through a series? Is it is it all Jeff Cavins all the time? What are you doing? <laughs> no. <laughs> so we, we, we have, I, I do different. So uh, there's large group Bible studies, which are more like the Jeff Cavins, the Ascension Press Bible studies. And then what I do is a Bible study called the St. Peter study. And it's a, it's a Bible study that uh, a friend of mine uh, put together a few years ago when we were at LSU together. And it's just, it's been one of those studies that's bore supernatural fruit. And so basically we go through the journey of St. Peter. And after this eight week Bible study, what we do is uh, we, we tell the people that we invite to the Bible study, all right, now we want you to go out. And one time a year, we want you to go out in groups of two or three and get eight more people and do the same Bible study, mission out this Bible study. And then if you really liked your first Bible study group, 
you can come back and we could do like the more like the more inf informative Bible studies, um, like the Swafford offers, our Cavens offers, or whoever offers. Like we could do those for for your community, but you have to mission out one Bible study with your friends, with your coworkers, with your peers, and then after you do that Bible study with them. They do the same thing. So basically the, the entire geographical boundaries ends up doing the same Bible study and they keep in it. And you, there's always someone new that you can mission this out to. And so you're doing it over and over and over again. And then a lot of people do go back to their first group and they do other things, uh, John studies, whoever. Um, but, that, but that's what we typically do. And, and we and we specifically um, what I did in my last parish was um, I, I I brought together there was like a group of, uh, I think it was like seven African-American women. So the parish that I was pastor of, when I first got there, it was exclusively white. It was it was a white parish. Um, and and then a few black people started coming in. And every time I saw a black person, I, I would grab them after mass, like, give me your number. I want to get you in a Bible study. And they're like, okay. Um, <laughs> and so I ended up putting them in a Bible study together. And then from that first Bible study, uh, then they were the ones who then went out to like cultivate multi-ethnic Bible studies uh, with their coworkers and their, their 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 peers, their friends, their family, their neighbors, or whatever. But that's how we were able to get intentional communities that were multi-ethnic mm. coming together uh, to get plugged. And, and then we always plugged them into like leadership roles on the missions team, on the retreat team, on pastoral council, on finance council. That way, again, everybody's voice is being heard. When I when I became a pastor, my my parish council was I think seven white men. And so I was like, all right, cool. Like I love white men. Um, uh, but I want to also add some women to, to this council. And they and I was like, I want to add some young people. So I, and I want to add, add some black people and, and Latina. And so, so we were able to like go out into the boundaries as they were coming in and bring them to the table. And, and the gift was, man, like a woman sees things so different than me as a man. And so whenever my, my team and I would discern things and it was just men at the table, man, we we overlooked so many things that we just didn't know um, was offensive to women and would prevent them from being radical disciples of Jesus Christ. So like to have their voice at the table was so necessary. Um, and then we, we form people in the interior life, like how to pray Lexio Divina, because I really do believe that if you can teach people how to pray, the way that we pray affects the way that we live. And so what we would encourage people and, and, and model it too, like to, to model it even during the homilies, but encourage people to like apply the steps of Lexio Divina to relationships. Like whenever you encounter somebody, ask them questions and then like, like reflect, what did they say? And then meditate. What does it say to me? Then pray, talk to God about what it says to me and then sit with it in silence and contemplation and look at guys who looks at you and then go back to them with a concrete action to ask them follow-up questions. That way they know that they were heard by you. When you model like intentional listening to people, then they'll listen better as well. And then where they can reform you, you'll be more open. Where you can reform them, um, they'll be more open. We're all in need of reformation. We're all broken. We're all a mess. Uh, we're all on a journey together. But I think that if we can learn how to pray well, then it really does affect the way that we're able to evangelize also. Yeah. Hey, Dave, why don't you send us through a break, huh? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, this has been an awesome discussion. We got to go to a break, hear about some great products from ascensionpress.com. We love being a part of the Ascension Press community. As always, if you have any questions, email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com, and we'll be right back. Hi, we're Jackie and Bobby Angel with Ascension Presents, and we wrote a book. Yay! Ta-da. Um, it's on discernment, which is figuring out the will of God in your life, which can be an exciting and yet exhausting endeavor. It's called Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry, Five Steps to Discerning God's Will. And we wrote it with Father Mike Schmitz from Ascension Presents. You might know him. <laughs> you may know that guy. The book is concise, but there's lots of wisdom for any person that really wants to do God's will. And is a, it's a 
journey trying to figure out what God wants for your life. And so there's a lot of wisdom from things we've learned along the way. There's testimonies and, and parts of our stories to help you out. Really, like, this is a book I wish I had as a young adult. Like, this would have helped me a lot in my 20s. Discernment is a question we get asked all the time. Where is God calling me? What am I called to? What vocation am I called to? How do I know if I'm supposed to take it, this job? How do I know this? So we wrote this book to help you along the way to give five steps to discern whatever decision you're making and hopefully to give that peace and that joy that will come from making that decision. And the, the main goal is to help you grow closer to God along the way. So maybe not you, maybe someone in your life is wrestling with a really tough decision and you want to give them some kind of resource or encouragement. It's for if you've got a big decision, period. Yeah. So go get your copy of Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry. Go buy one for a friend. Buy one for someone who's not your friend. Love your enemies. <laughs> buy them this book. <laughs> go to ascensionpress.com and get your copy today. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. We're here uh, with Father Josh Johnson down in Baton Rouge talking about, uh, uh, you know, a, a pertinent topic for today uh, about race and and discipleship and Catholicism. And he's dropped a bunch of bombs, you know, today that have been awesome. One of the things that we want to point you to is is he's the author of this new book, On Earth as It Is in Heaven. Um you know, it's just, it's going to be fantastic and it, and it's going to help us to make our parishes, our churches more the way it is in heaven, you know, every, every nation, every tongue. So Father Josh, it's been awesome to have you on. Will you just tell us, uh, give us a pitch for why we should buy the book, you know? Uh, I think that we should buy the book because I think Jesus Christ wants for our churches on earth might to look like heaven. And so if we want to console the heart of Jesus, I'm not saying this book is in any way the only book out there that can help us do it, but I think that it's a particular gift in this generation to help us to um, to make disciples of all nations, to fulfill the demands of discipleship, and to draw all people um, to become saints in their walk toward eternity. So um, definitely get the book, pray with it. And again, I'm I'm not infallible. I'm I'm not without criticism, and so uh, it's not perfect. But you know, but uh, I do think it took me six years to write this book. I think it's a good book. I think it's going to be helpful for the body of Christ. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think too much of the conversation today is dominated by sociology. It's dominated by, you know, a particular like neo-Marxist worldview and like all these things that as Catholics were like, I see that things need to get better, but I don't know if I want to go down that road or that road. But when you frame it within the context of discipleship, that's where like it's not just like, hey, we're going to have community action. That can be a part of it, yeah. but it's rooted in surrender to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, right? And without that, why bother? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the emphasis that I think we, we need to focus on is drawing all people to Jesus and then trusting that if we cultivate this relationship with Jesus, that he will inspire us like he inspired the saints before us to do concrete actions in our world to transform our world. Um, but too often we start with the concrete actions that aren't the fruit of our prayer, and that's why they don't bear supernatural fruit. And, and so then we, then we give up and we're like, well, I don't want to ever participate in, in this event or that thing or that movement or whatever, because I, I didn't see fruit. I'm like, no, like the movement might be good if it is rooted in prayer. So how about we, we pause on all of our efforts, stop doing everything we're doing and commit now to um, daily prayer, like not only in, as individuals, but as a team of disciples, commit to that daily time with the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures and before the blessed sacrament. 
And if we do that, then just like the Holy Spirit uh, sent the apostles out with a concrete mission, then Holy Spirit will also inspire us in the unique geographical boundaries of our lands that we find ourselves in with concrete missions um, that that can end the racial divide, that can cultivate uh, authentic racial reconciliation, um, and, and that and that can really um, console the heart of Jesus by um, making our parishes on earth look like the church that John saw um, in worship of God in heaven. Mm. It's possible. It is. Uh, it reminds me of Pope Francis before he was even a, a bishop in South America. He had this great thing where he was running this Jesuit farm, and he kept making, uh, when he was the superior, all the academics who wrote about the poor. He kept making them like clean out the pig troughs and stuff of, of the thing with the poor people in his area, and they hated him so much. And he's like, you talk all day about the poor, but they're never with you. And it's like, we can tweet all mm. we want. We can be social. But until we do what Christ asks us, which is make disciples of all nations, then uh, then we're just a, a clanging gong and a noisy symbol, and we're not actually doing the work of the Lord. So Boom. thank you so much. Uh, once again, that book is On Earth As It Is In Heaven, Restoring God's Vision for Race and Discipleship. You can find it on AccentulePress.com. Uh, Father, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you all. It's been a huge gift to be with you all. Nice. And Dave, as always, a good day, sir. God bless you all. See you, Gomer. <laughs>